You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I'm Michael Halcombe and I am here with Fred Long. Fred, how's it? Hey, I'm doing right, Michael. And you're doing well? Yeah, doing well. Um, yeah, excited to get into a new chapter of Galatians. Um, we are at Galatians 5 in this episode. And uh, if you are listening or watching, um, let me just encourage you. We have uh, the podcast on a variety, dozens actually, of platforms. But our three most prominent are Spotify and YouTube. And uh, just recently, we started posting the video podcast natively inside Twitter. So in the same way that you would upload a podcast into YouTube, we're now doing that on Twitter. Um, so that's kind of exciting. If, if you're on Twitter, you can go watch the podcast there as well. And really easy to like, follow, reshare, all that kind of stuff. So hey, check Michael, us out. Yeah. Is there another podcast like ours? I mean, I, I know that everyone wants to have a unique thing. I, I particularly like having unique things. That's kind of neat. Yeah. But is there is there really anything? I mean, you've you started really to network with a lot of podcasters. Is there anything like what we're doing? Working through the Greek text, working through Greek vocabulary, vocabulary, working through gram- grammar points. Is there another podcast that does what we're doing or even close to it? Not that I know of. Um, and I'm I'm pretty familiar with the podcast world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know there are Greek podcasts out there and there are a few where like they just talk in Koine Greek, right? Like, yeah. Uh, but, and I know there are some that do like vocabulary. I know that there are some that do uh, like walk through quickly through a text or something like that. Um, and there are a lot of podcasts, of course, that discuss Bible verses or scripture verses, but you know, there's not... As far as I know, there's not one podcast where like all of that can be found mm-hmm. um, and that is sort of sequential, right? Yeah. Like ours is where everything is a sort of building. And I will say um, we, we record these ahead of time and I don't know exactly like the release date of every podcast, although this one yeah. should be somewhere in early July. Um, we do have a few uh, scholars that were adding to the lineup, the proof text lineup, and they they will be appearing in the lineup in the next few months. I'm super stoked about that. Um, can't mention we got the name some, yet. Um, you know I can't, not just yet. We, well, they, we have, well, you mentioned the names to me. I won't mention them, but are they going to work through like several kind of issues? Because you mentioned some big name people. Are yeah. they, I, I thought it was just like a one-time podcast, but you're actually going to try to get like little like segments where they maybe can explain certain things. So I like have, um, we're still working. I on have, yeah. Yeah. So okay. what you're talking about is a little different. I do have some big, some great interviews coming up with some notable folks. Yeah. I can mention them. So we, okay. we do hope to have con Campbell on soon, Craig Evans soon, Dave De Silva. So we've got some really good stuff coming down the the line in terms of just conversations, but I'm talking about like a regular weekly spot. I I have a few scholars who have agreed to come on to be like regulars 
on ah, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So Neat. I can't say exactly who they are just yet. Um, but I can say one will, uh, well, two of them will be Hebrew scholars. And one is going to, to do a, a weekly thing on linguistics. And one is going to do a weekly thing on um, some stuff within the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. Um, and then I've got one or two other conversations in the works. Uh, that would be very cool if I, you know, we could make that happen. So always working on this, always trying to grow this and some really yeah. exciting stuff coming down it's, the pipeline. So I'm yeah. getting worried here. Is my Sunday slot secure no. or do I need to start worrying about getting, no. you know, I just, I just found some um, New Testament intro videos that I created uh, for an intro class that I can, uh, I'll need to look at and see if they're tolerable. Of course, I never like seeing myself from make many years ago <laughs> but anyway well uh no so. so that's the idea like where i want to move the podcast next is um i want to get to a point where maybe we have um three episodes released today i've, I've thought about different ways of thinking through this but really the idea is having one um more substantive or lengthy podcast between 15 minutes to an hour every day. And then on either side of that episode, we'll, we'll then put the little things like a Greek reading or a Greek vocabulary or Hebrew reading and Hebrew vocabulary or the spoken word, you know, but sandwiched in between the two smaller episodes will be a long form episode. And so um, the idea is that, for each day of the week, we have one scholar that that spot's reserved for. So your yours is on Sunday with your Greek matters, right? And then the Saturday one is what we're doing now. It's usually me and you or me interviewing somebody. Um, and then the other days of the week, like I'll have one and then the other scholars are coming on to to fill in those other days. So that's kind of the idea to have one okay. longer form episode. Um, and then uh, two shorter form episodes on like sandwiching that longer form episode. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's so, the idea. So who's going to get stoned? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean, you can be taking to, a few not ways. Not, <laughs> we're not supposed to be doing work on the Sabbath. So mm, like, which, which day, or I guess it's yeah. not recorded on, I don't know. I have to work through that's that. Right. I mean, Christine yeah. and I were just reading through Exodus, and the Lord's pretty firm on that one. Mm. But um, yeah, well, we get a little bit, a little bit different of view of Sabbath from Jesus, right? In Mark two. Um, yeah, I guess we're not under the yeah. old covenant anymore. Yeah. Well, I think I think in a sense, you know, the old covenant is still certainly applicable, but Jesus' point, right? The Sabbath was made to, to to do things or be people that are life-giving and do life-giving things. And mm -hmm. uh, when the Sabbath becomes about restrictions that are burdensome and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about this sort of legalistic rule keeping that has us under its thumb, then it's no longer life-giving anymore. So that's why Jesus yeah. is healing yeah. a man on a life and or healing a man on a Sabbath and saving his life and yeah. uh, picking grain and allowing disciples to eat like that on the Sabbath. Cause some of life. Yeah. 
Saving yeah, yeah, saving donkeys like pits and stuff like that. Do that. The Sabbath is made for that, which is life giving. So that just happened know, I, to me the other day. Yeah, saving All a donkey right. in a pit. Oh no, on the uh, Sabbath? No, no. <laughs> just teasing. What was yeah, his name? Well, what? Just kidding. Yeah, so what was his name? Who was the person? Um, just kidding. Well, yeah. So I'm all for freedom, man. I mean, freedom. Yeah. We are. That's what, the segue. Sons of the free woman is Paul That's right. Galatians four. Well, let's go to Galatians five, and um, hopefully that little uh, bit there about the podcast and what's coming up is exciting for our listeners. Uh, I'm excited to get into Galatians five because it feels like we've been in Galatians four for ages. Uh, it's a long so, chapter. Seems like yeah. It is. So Galatians 5 is is almost just as lengthy. We got 26 verses. Uh, but here we go. I'm going to read the Greek. And uh, it begins this way. Te elefteria emas Christos, elefteros elefterosen, stekete un ke me palin zugo dulias enecheste. Got some tongue twisters uh, going on there. Um, yeah, noticing a lot of the k there and the k and the k and the z and the h again. So um, those create for some tongue twisters, I think, particularly for English speakers. But um, yeah, a lot of hissing and a lot of sigmas in here as well. Emas, Christos. Uh, so a lot of that so it's kind of interesting you have this hissing and uh, guttural stuff going on I don't have a lot to say about the pronunciation here maybe just to remind folks that the eta um, with the rough breathing mark is pronounced smoothly in koine so not just emas uh, although that would uh, add to the guttural effect if we were doing a rough breathing. But emas just is the same as elefterosen, right? So the rough breathing and the smooth breathing eta are the same. Yeah, All right. so. Yeah. All right, so 5-1. Thank you. Uh, for freedom, Christ set us free or freed us. For freedom, Christ's freed us therefore stand and not again uh submit uh yourselves to the yoke of slavery mm -hmm. yeah so you you have um five one a uh is an instance of what we call a syndeton where there's no conjunction that introduces it no, syndeton can indicate close relationship to what has preceded or no relationship to what has preceded. Uh, and here, um, it appears to be uh, a close relationship of some kind uh, because you have back-to-back -back the words, uh, cognates for freedom. Mm -hmm. So you go from teis ev elevteras te elevteria. That's what you would have heard read together. Um, Michael could read it a little bit better. Why don't you read that? Te elefteria emas Christos elefterosen. Well, I'm talking about the end of verse 31. 
So you got the oh. genitive space that lives there else? Yes. Ah, I see. So, yeah, you have in Galatians 4.31, um, Tes elefteras te elefteria. So there's certainly wordplay going on there. Yeah. And then three words later, you have another cognate. Mm -hmm. So this would have been heard. So uh, this verse, I, I refer to this verse a lot. For me, this is like a herald call for me of God's mm -hmm. larger purposes uh, for us. Um, when I think about the nature of the world and why there's evil in it, which is a huge problem. I mean, this is a theodicy issue. So a theodicy is a big word for how we try to explain how God is just in the world, how he's fair, good, and just. And to explain that, uh, people describe what are called theodicies or just different explanations. For me, this is a big answer to a lot of those um, that question is uh, God has given us a lot of freedom. Uh, in fact, so much freedom that we could even fall. And why did God do that? Well, he did it for the sake of relationship and love. <laughs> you can't have love without freedom. Uh, but with mm. that also comes great risk. And so the great redemptive work of Christ, the great salvation project of God that began with Abraham calling him, inviting Abraham to, to leave and to go and settle uh, a new land. That's the beginning of salvation history back in Genesis 12. The goal of all that is this profound, radical freedom and blessing that Abraham was to be a blessing to the, the nations. And um, now with the coming of the gospel, there's freedom that Christ delivers to us. And it's freedom from sin it's two-pronged, from sin and freedom to do good. Uh, mm, freed, yeah. freed to do good and to be uh, uh, flourishing humans. Like all that we long for, all this language about humans that we can agree upon, that we should be just and good and love uh, and have good relationships. Like almost everyone can agree with these kinds of things. Well, guess what? That's the gospel. <laughs> That's what God came uh, and sent his son Jesus to demonstrate for us is his great love for us and to literally set us free to pay the ransom, not so that we stay ransomed, but that we actually get bought out of that place of slavery and brought into a place of life and love and freedom and goodness so that we're flourishing. So this verse is just huge in my thinking. Sin enslaves. Sin promises more than it delivers, uh, but God frees us. And for freedom, Christ has freed us. And in context, Paul is talking about this yoke of slavery. And this is understood in terms of do's and don'ts in a certain kind of a framework of, of um, fleshliness in trying to be a certain kind of thing in our own understanding in an old way of doing thing, things, which now has been revealed as not the destination. The destination was never the law in its particularities. And believe me, there's a lot of particularities in this law. My wife and I have been reading through Genesis and Exodus, and I'm telling you, she's like puzzled. She's like, why did God do it this way? Like, this is so mm -hmm. detailed. Why this intricate sacrificial system? And I keep trying to tell her, well, there's all these lessons to be learned there's also a point where it's like, you know, 
this is very detailed and this is not the destination. This is a, a means to get us to a certain point. God is revealing himself. He's distinguishing uh, a people mm -hmm. from other people. He's, he's trying to yeah. communicate something about holiness and, and defining people and also really conveying something of the seriousness of sin, that, that sin and disobedience has, has tremendous consequences. But that's not the destination. The destination is to, to bring us into this wonderful tri relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, um, which, which frees us and, and frees us into a new way of being that involves walking in the Spirit. Now, Paul is going to get us there. Uh, just hang on. Keep listening for the next uh, month or two or th probably three, <laughs> three, month, three months. We'll get there because eventually he's going to be talking about walking and living by the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And you see, that's the new reality that we've, been, we've entered into is this relationship of sons and daughters. We're baptized into Christ and we're now family members but we're family members with freedom to live and, and to grow as, as self-determining creatures um, that, that give honor and glory to God when we freely choose him and freely choose to do what is good and, and choose to be in relationship with him. So this, this, these verses are just huge. Um, anything that would enslave us, sin, particularly of all kinds, and we really need a more robust understanding of sin, and we'll, look, we'll have a chance to look at that. I think our understanding of sin is not robust enough. But if we just stay at that level of do's and don'ts and trying to avoid the bad, that's, that's, that, that's not even half the game. The larger half of the game is this walking in the Spirit and being restored into our, our, our gifts and ourselves, which which is a beautiful thing. Each one of us is such a beautiful part of God's creation and unique. No one is like each of us. Each of us is so unique and we're created to live in this radical freedom, uh, which Christ has procured for us. He has procured this for us at a cost. And so uh, the second part of verse uh, five one there. Let, let me say uh, something before yeah, yeah, you move go ahead. on. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say like the the line between like this radical freedom and slavery is in a lot of ways very thin. Mm. Um, it it is uh it is easy once we've been given freedom um to do this or that to be this or that um. It's very easy for what we're doing or what we're being to become then the thing that enslaves us. Um, uh, you know, I, I just think one that comes to mind right off the top of my head, like, um, is sexuality. Like, we are free to, yeah. to do whatever we want sexually. Um, but how quickly that can become a yoke of slavery to us. We can become enslaved to it, right? Or we... I think you might want to say, I think you're implying, but readers might want to, our listeners might want to hear you say within the context that God has set, the boundaries of marriage, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, 
yeah, we're free to engage in sex outside of marriage, for example, but that can also become a yoke of slavery to us. Like anything, really, it doesn't have to just be sexuality. Like it can be eating, right? We're free to eat or drink whatever we'd like, uh, but how quickly the diet can become, and I'm not saying dieting, but just our diet, our eating habits, drinking yeah. habits can enslave us. Yeah. You so, know? well, um, I think what, what you're saying is we're free to do that. It may not be, it's not, it, some of those things are not good for us. They're not yeah, good for it, can, us it can enslave us. Like yeah. the, the point is being how quickly what we are free to do um, can become a slave master to us. Um, that that's my point. Like, yeah, uh, I would even say we're not free to do certain things in Christ. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with the qualifier. Yeah. Um, yeah. where when I say we're free to engage in this or that sexually, it doesn't mean that. Um, I'm I'm not implying that. Uh, God is saying that's okay or that's good. You know, we have the freedom to do it. Uh, but uh, yeah. as people in Christ. Uh, we may not have the freedom to do mm -hmm. it, right? So there's still a law of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. regardless, like, just the, my, my overall point is this, how quickly freedom can be taken to such a point that it, it, it so quickly enslaves us. Um, yeah, and Paul yeah. comes to that in verse 13 of this chapter, which we'll get to in a, a month or so. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So verse, the second part of verse one here, um, there's an un. Uh, un is a connector that advances the argument. Whereas Dio, we saw last episode in uh, 431, doesn't advance it. It kind of restates what's been said as a thesis, uh, hortatory thesis, whereas un advances. And so we actually see that Un is here advancing. Uh, he says, you know, stand, stand firm, uh, keep standing, uh, but and, and do not again uh, be submitting yourselves to the yoke of slavery. So this this is interesting. The um, the, the the command to uh, uh, to not submit again uh, is present tense. Uh, and it's middle. Um, yeah, do not be, yeah, I, I think it's middle. Do not subject subject yourselves again uh, to the yoke of slavery. So this is something that we can do to ourselves. And so Paul's saying, don't, don't be doing that. I think it's often parsed as passive, but I think you can make a really strong case that it's, it's middle where the, um, the subject is, uh, is affected by the, the submission process and it's intriguing that it's it's a present tense imperative form with may may a lot of times the, the negative word may uh, takes the subject subjunctive that's how you that's that's how you form pro, uh, prohibitions i think that's the default so when you see may with a present imperative that present tense construes like an ongoing kind of need to not be doing something. And so this kind of gets to your concern, Michael, of the ongoing threat of a kind of slavery uh, that we could uh, subject ourselves to. Um, 
uh, yeah, if we're, if we're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, you know, our, the, the truest form of freedom is slavery in Christ. <laughs> the truest form of freedom is being a slave of Christ or to Christ. Mm. Mm. And there is no truer form of freedom. I love that uh, lyric from it's a Pat Barrett song, Joy, uh, where he says, um, he says, uh, there's freedom, though you've captured me. And I just, it's like one of my favorite lyrics of any praise song. There's freedom, though you've captured me. Yeah. And that's how I think of that, like the truest freedom has been in being captured and enslaved to Christ. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, I wanted to ask you a question here. So we have this word, thulias. Uh, so, um, and then we have eleftheria. Mm -hmm. And we know in the preceding chapters, this whole discourse about the free woman and the slave woman. Um, I mean, that analogy is, is continuing to run. Uh, could there, could that sense of like, um, it is instead of reading this, it is for Christ, uh, is for freedom rather that Christ set us free. Could it, it's a dative, right? It is in the free woman that Christ set us free and then therefore stand firm and do not again, uh, become or take on, submit to the yoke of the slave woman. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that that works because the um, you're in this. The free woman is an adjective versus the noun that is the feminine noun with ia ending, eleftheria, versus eleftheros, thera, uh, ther, theron, uh, is a that's an adjective. So I, while they're made by extension of referent. You know, we are reminded of these two women. In fact, Paul does not reference those women. He's he's used those women to talk about these ideas. And so these ideas are most prominent. And, and I think in five one, that's what he's he, he wants us to be thinking of. Um, yeah, so I think he's moved. Past. I don't think those women are going to even come up again. Uh, I think if, if I remember uh, the argument here. Yeah, so he's getting us to those. So to those you don't think it could be rendered in the in the freed one or in the free no. woman? Because uh -uh. eleftheria is is a is an abstract noun. It's, a, it's its own separate noun, which means the state of being free, freedom, liberty. Yeah, yeah. So I mm -hmm. yeah, and I guess that date of um, was kind of troubling me. What kind of date of is that for freedom? Christ has set us free. Uh, BDAG, the lexicon says that it's uh, a dative of advantage, but I don't know. It seems like it almost might be a destination point. Um, but I was looking at different, there's dative of destination. Looking at Wallace's categories of possible data with, with respect to freedom, Christ to set you free could be a dative of reference. But yeah, I'm not sure I, I'm understanding the dative of. What about this image of uh, this image of um, the yoke of slavery? I mean, Paul is 
is very fond of calling himself a slave of Christ, and he wants others to become slaves of Christ. But here he refers to the as you go, the yoke of slavery. Um, I guess the yoke being like agricultural animal imagery, right? How you you, uh, you put on an ox, like in it. It it's what a master uses to drive an ox, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so here, though, he's taking on a negative image of slavery. Um. I don't, I'm I'm very intrigued by that, especially in reference to the imperative stake at the, like stand firm. Um, yeah. Because when you, when you have that yoke on, like an ox has that yoke on, it's being driven. Whereas here the command is stand firm, like don't be moved, don't be driven. Um, yeah. 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 I think very vivid. It is, and that's also a present tense imperative. So from stako to stand firm, um, I'm, and I think this idea of yoke of slavery, I think that these these terms are political terms, um, and in the context, uh, the Jewish people were in in a sense subjected to the Romans, and part of the concern with trying to control the early Christian movement and trying to get them to fit under the umbrella of Judaism and look a certain way is to avoid being persecuted by the Romans who might be seeing this young Christian fledgling group, this kind of these Jews that are not acting like Jews to kind of get them in trouble. And so there's, there's a lot of social pressure from the Romans, which is a kind of slavery. And so for for Paul to say, we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem, like the city that's above. And so we have the citizenship that is above. I mean, this is this is political language that's overlaid to our lives here. And so I'm, this idea of standing is uh, may evoke a little bit of a militaristic uh, stance. Like, is there, was there a yoke put on slaves? Like, uh, I mean, I think of like chains and stuff like that, but is there, there's something put around the slave's neck that was comparable to what was put around the ox's neck that would drive or control the slave. Do you, you familiar with that? I am not. I'm, I'm looking up, uh, our, my colleague, Craig Keener's background notes, uh, to the new Testament. And he just sends us to acts fifteen ten where, yoke is referred to there um he doesn't mention this he's just mentioning in terms of rabbinic laws uh rabbinic teachings mm-hmm. about lenient and this kind of thing uh this is in the context of peter not wanting to place a too much burden and yoke upon gentile believers this is the jerusalem council so mm-hmm. no mention there he makes of yoke i'm trying to think of my study of tri- Roman triumphal processions and how they treat yeah, it. Yeah, that's uh, what comes to mind for me. That's, and how they're treated. I think they might be roped together. Uh, is that considered a yoke? So what kind of word is this word yoke? And what kind of broader connotations did it have? Was it merely agricultural? Or did it begin to have extended uses? Um. I'm looking at LSJ now, Liddell Scott Jones, 
Um, I'm not yeah. seeing anything. It could be used in boats, the beam used in boats. Um, okay. It is a rank. It is a technical military term, a rank or line of soldiers um, as opposed to a file. So a file is another kind of thing. So again, this is soldier imagery of, uh, you know, march. Is this a kind of marching orders that Paul does not want them to submit to that, that really is enslaving. So yeah, need to do a little bit more work there, but this idea of freedom in Paul, um, where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, which is a bit of an oxymoronic statement because the spirit of the Lord, Lord suggests a, domin a dominos, uh, a Lord in Latin. And that's what Julius Caesar was called. And that was a real burden to the Roman people. They did not like that. In fact, when they killed him, Brutus yelled, Libertas. So stabs him, kills him, yelling, Liberty, freedom. And so to have a Lord and then have freedom in the same breath is, is a bit oxymoronic. So Paul says it in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18. And that's in the context of a Roman triumphal march which Paul evokes at the end of chapter two. So there's this military imagery that is, I think, evoked in the context of Second Corinthians. I think something similar is going on here. Um, in fact, if you look up this word, eleftheria, uh, ther eleftheria uh, if you look it up in the Maccabean literature, it is political concept. And the mm. Jews wanting freedom. They're fighting for their freedom. And Jerusalem above is free. Right. So this there's something that we need to recover here that is not a part of our thinking. But when Paul would have been reading this, what this would have been heard, understood, and it's constructed in this con context of political strife and antagonism. So, yeah, I think that's an open question. It's a good question to ask. I I would need to do a little bit more research on the use of this term, a yoke. Yeah. yeah. Well, Go to verse two. Yeah. All right. Um, it. I'll read the Greek here, and um, it says, "Ide ego Pavlos lego yuminoti, eian peri temniste Christos imas yuden ofelesi." Yeah. Um, you know, I don't see anything really here except. Uh, perhaps where we have the the mu new consonant back together, which can be a little bit of a tongue twister, right? Peritemneste. That yeah. no, we yeah. we have like the English word mnemonic, which comes directly from Greek, and we'll see this uh, again down in the next verse. But um, yeah, so. And one of the syllabification rules of Greek, right? Whenever you have something like that, the um, the syllable is going to break there. But uh, other than that, I don't really have anything to, to mention here in terms of pronunciation. So we can jump right into discussing the verse. One of the things I noticed right away um, is how the NIV begins its translation, mark my words. Um <laughs> Uh, I I mean that's about liberty. 
that's taking some real liberty, taking some real freedom right there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's in the 84 edition and in the 2011. Mark my words. My goodness. Either is related to idu, which is often translated as behold. Uh, yeah. So see, this is literally like see, I think is how look. I would translate it. Yeah. Look, uh, NESB has behold. Uh, so look, it's definitely an attention getting device. Look. I, Paul, am speaking to you. <laughs> this. This is where yeah. this would be a great place where the OT yeah. um, kind of helps set off uh, something. If and you are mm -hmm. circumcised, Christ will benefit you nothing. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Notice the uh, pro drop going on here as well, right? We don't need the ego, so that's certainly emphatic yeah. as well. Yeah. Right? I myself, I Paul myself, yeah. say it's ego. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's only yeah. one more way that that could be made more emphatic, and that is to add avtos, <laughs> ego mm -hmm. avtos, and that he does that in fact in Second Corinthians uh, ten one, uh, where he piles up everything he says avtos de ego pavlos parakolo um you know i myself paul say mm -hmm. so that's the most ramped up way that an author could refer to themselves and this is a meta comment in other words paul is is self-reflectively drawing attention to the communicative act his act of speaking as a as a speaker and not only is he doing that he's throwing in an extra ego the ego is not needed the pavlos is i mean i guess you know if maybe if someone fell asleep they would hear pavlos oh paul paul's just right paul speaking because obviously the audience would know that he's the one speaking so yeah. yeah this is a this is a pretty uh loud uh, statement of authorial voice and Paul's authorial voice. And I think when you look at this kind of a meta comment and the prominence attached to Paul's authorial voice, we have to say that we're, we're hitting a major nerve. I also think it, it is, uh, in a way, it's distinguishing from Torah and Grafe, which we just saw in Galatians 4. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's, he's in some way distinguishing his, his voice from the voice of that, although his voice is in concert with that. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. The, you're hearing, you're hearing, you're supposed to hear the law, verse 21, 421, and then scripture speaks, Lehi, Paul speaks, mm -hmm. Lego. Yeah. Um, but you're not you're not just um, hearing Paul. You're supposed to see him. Mm -hmm. See, is it? Look, look at me. Um, now this um, this kind of drawing in the mind's eye, the person of Paul, is a theme probably throughout um, this idea of sight and eyes. Uh, Christ was publicly portrayed as having been crucified. Um, at, he says that in chapter three, at the end of Galatians, he's going to say, look at, look at my stigmata. 
Look at the marks yeah. that I bear for Christ. So somehow so I wonder, has some kind I, of stars. Yeah. I wonder if, I mean, this may sound coarse, but I'm whatever, you know. I, I wonder, I mean, he's a circumcised Jew. Like, I wonder, because later I'll point at his stigmata, if he's like, does he point to his midsection here? <laughs> like, you know, um, no, seriously, I know that sounds like coarse and we... We don't want to think about that, but I mean, he's literally talking about circumcision and that's going to be like yeah. a big part of the focus, you know, at the least he goes, I, Paul, you know, like, and then stop yeah. at the midsection. Like there's a way to gesture that that isn't tasteless, but like, I think, yeah, the, the look here is very the either along with the Lego look. And I, I say like, but just the fact that the either look, I I have mm -hmm. to think he's gesturing, gesturing toward himself as well. Yeah, yeah. There is there is some focus on Paul. If you go back to four twelve, you know we. If you go back to those episodes, I proposed a different translation punctuation that Paul's asking a series of questions. You know, are you becoming like me because I'm like you? Um, mm. you know, you're becoming like me, a Jew, because. I've become like you, a, a Gentile. He's living mm. differently. So are you trying to become like me now? That's how I would, I would try to render that. Uh, I would render that. And then he says, brothers, this is 412, brothers, I beg you, haven't you wronged me in this? Isn't this a wrong move to try to become like me? Mm. That is a Jew. Because in fact, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And by this point in the discourse, he's already explained what all his his advancement and zeal within Judaism, as he describes it, what that what that amounted to is is he considered it rubbish, mm -hmm. and maybe merging it with Galatians. But I think he says something very similar uh, in in Galatians uh, one and two. So yeah, I think, um, and he also said in in uh, Four verse fourteen, uh, your temptation in my flesh, you did not uh, despise, nor did you disdain, but you accepted me, you received me as an angel of God or a messenger, uh, as a messenger of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. So, throughout the discourse, Paul has been making appeal to his person and the way that they perceived him, and and how they weren't despised by him, but accepted him. And um, and now he's saying, look at me, look at what I am. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think uh, it's, it's, it's intriguing. Um, and so now he's going to say, look at me in my full circumcision. And I'm going to say this. If you are being circumcised, present tense, Christ will benefit you nothing. And he's yeah. someone who's spoken from experience based on his pedigree, based on his life experiences and what all that happened to him. He can say that with confidence that this is not going to help you. Uh, Christ will not benefit you anything. You're going to be submitting to a yoke and it's going to take you down a certain way uh, that is not going to be beneficial for you. Yeah, the circumcision here is... Uh is not merely just the circumcision, right? It's, it's, it's 
becoming, it's submitting to a larger ideology. <laughs> yeah. Um, at, yeah, yeah, at great cost to your body. So yeah. in other words, someone who does this is very serious and very committed, right? Yeah. They have to be. I mean, it's an extremely painful situation. In fact, so painful. I mean, Troy Martin says that um, no, there was, there's no evidence that that people actually converted to this extent. <laughs> so in his mind, this is kind of a hypothetical argument in the sense that there are outsiders who are really pushing this and saying, if you don't do this, uh, you're not saved. And so the Galatians are like, you know what? I think I'm going to go back to paganism. And Paul addressed mm -hmm. this in chapter four, right? He says, you're returning to days and seasons and, and stuff and using calendrical terms, which are not Jewish calendrical terms. In other words, he's, he's saying, basically, Paul seems to be saying, you're leaving the faith yeah. because someone has pushed this on you. And and you don't want to do it understandably because this is for adult males. This is very painful and stigmatizing, stigmatizing yeah. to the point that you point that you're going to be ostracized. I mean, people in the baths will see you in the bathrooms will see you. They will know this. Uh, Jewish men were ridiculed in different ways. They were thought to always be horny because the glands of their penis was exposed. And they thought, see, they're always they always have they're always aroused. So this was something that was in the culture, being mocked in, in different theatrical performances. In fact, the, the pressure to, to, uh, of removing the mark of circumcision was so real that there was actually a procedure that people undertook called epispasm. So epispasm, you could look that up, is the removal of the marks of circumcision through a very painful process of cutting the foreskin al along the shaft and pulling that skin forward and somehow tying that off so that you recreate a foreskin. Extremely mm. painful. I mean, that skin is very thin. <laughs> like, I don't even know what, what is even like holding things together at that point. But basically, this is a procedure called epispasm. And men, to remove the stigma of circumcision were willing to have this very painful process done uh, to remove, remove the mark of circumcision. So, um, yeah. The physical mutilation was, the physical uh, transformation, whatever you want to call it, was, again, part part of a subscription to a larger ideology. Like, yeah. it was an outward manifestation of adherence to an ideology. Yeah, I mean, once you go down that road, you you got to follow the whole law, right? I yeah. mean, you're entering into the old covenant, which has all kinds of of covenantal uh, obligations. Yeah, and and you know, this is a well established old religion in Roman terms. The Jewish people had rights to do things, and were in a certain level respected. Um. And yeah, so people doing this would have to come under the whole law. And is it, uh, yeah, is, is it a stretch? I mean, it might be, but you know, it's just knocking around in my brain here. Like, can you think about all the transgender stuff going on today, and mm. the sort of mutilation of the body is really indicative of adherence and subscription to 
a larger ideology um, that ins that is enslaving i would yeah. say absolutely so in fact there's probably a, there's definitely an analogy uh of that uh and maybe there's something that happens with with uh, such ideologies that um they tend to harm the body yeah uh, and i yeah. say that's kind of just generally true and you that that you can you could apply that at many different levels uh workaholism and buying into that comes at a payment of of your body of you know sitting all day and whatever you know like that is its own ideology that people are so driven by that so we we need to watch what ideologies that we're subjecting ourselves to and i think if we study what is it doing to our body what changes do we need to make to our bodies to ourselves uh, that there probably is going to be a, a cost in that in that regard. Yeah, I think that's yeah. helpful. So, Paul, we're going to see we're going to end, I think, here soon. Uh, in the next verse, he's going to give personal testimony. So this focus that Paul is speaking, this this authorial presence is evoked. And then we're going to see in verse three, he's going to talk about I, I'm testifying to you. Um, and he's really going to really we're kind of pointing in the direction I wasn't looking at verse three, but now I'm seeing we're basically talking about what verse three says uh, that you have you're going to you're going to have to obey the whole law. So I guess maybe I've been so formed in Paul's thinking that I knew that's that's kind of what what was going on. In fact, as I look at verse three, that's exactly what he says next. Well, do you have a parting shot for us? I do. I'm going to stay with Paul Trunier. No one can develop freely in this world and find a full life without feeling understood by at least one person. Excellent. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for all the, the insight, Fred. Thanks to our listeners and viewers. If you have a second, go ahead and subscribe and follow us and like, and uh, more importantly, share. We appreciate it. Um, put a lot of work into the podcast and are grateful for everyone who supports it. And uh, we want to share this great content with as many people as we can. And it's free, always will be free. So uh, yeah, that's it for now. Until next time, we'll see you later. Hope that helps. Interested in growing your ancient language skills, but not sure where to start? Glow's House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.